Welcome, everybody, back into the vaccine conversation. <laughs> Not just in, but back and in. Yes, yeah, so I just oh, thought I'd get it all in there, but in a different order. I like mixing it up. In case you were front, now you're back. In case you were out, now you're in. We got it. We got it. Welcome oh, yes. to, chat, to our chat table yes. on the vaccine conversation. Well, we are back with a kind of a, I don't know, a very interesting topic today. I kind of feel like... Uh, Who brought this, this topic to you? Hmm? This is another one of Melissa's hmm? fascinating ideas Who that I would have never you? thought of. <laughs> all right. I don't even remember how I came across this particular study. Oh, I know how I did. I was I was researching encephalitis and uh, reports of encephalitis with the MMR vaccine um, or with measles vaccine, and then it led me to this study, which was done in 2014. Called I, I, I should probably read the study since it's oh, a scientific. Okay, well I can at least thing, give right? the name since I'm okay. just a mom. Okay. Here's the title of the study: A review of factors affecting vaccine preventable disease in Japan. And this study goes on to talk not just about the measles vaccine, but kind of the overview of the vaccine program. And I should note, this is 2014. There have been a lot of changes since then, and we, we'll talk about later maybe why we think that's happened. But I want to just imagine we're still in 2014 as we talk about this, because the way that they approach their vaccine program is totally different than the way we approach ours. And when there are side effects happening, there's an immediate stop on that vaccine until they figure things out. Right. And then they would reinitiate if they're, and they would change things. There is a, it's a very different than our schedule uh, and the way that we do things here. So what did you need to do, Dr. Lee? Oh, no, no. I was going to just kind of, you know, Read the title of the study oh, of the gosh. doctors and the. Reference. How about you read their names? But, but I mean, if, if you if you go on you know Scholar Google and and type in the title of the of the study, you can kind of pull it up for yourself if you want. And and um, it's from the Hawaii Journal of Medicine and Public Health, December twenty fourteen. Uh, yeah, it's so almost two thousand fifteen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I want to read the abstract, I guess, just because okay. I think it gives kind of a, a kind of a, a good overall summary. It basically says. Japan is well known as a country with a strong health record. However, its incident rates of vaccine-preventable diseases, such as hepatitis B, measles, mumps, rubella, and varicella, remain higher than other developed countries. This article reviews the factors that contribute to the high rates of these diseases in Japan. These include historical and political factors that delayed the introduction of several important vaccines until recently. Access has also been affected by vaccines being divided into government-funded routine vaccines like pertussis and polio and self-pay voluntary vaccines like hepatitis A and B. Routine vaccines have higher rates of, of administration than the voluntary vaccines. Administration factors include differences in well-child care schedules, the approach to simultaneous vaccination, Vaccination contraindication due to fever and vaccination spacing. Parental factors include low intention to fully vaccinate their children and misperceptions about side effects and efficacy. There are also provider knowledge gaps regarding indications, adverse effects, interval, and simultaneous vaccination. These multifactorial issues combine to produce lower population immunization rates and a higher incidence of vaccine-preventable diseases than other developed countries. This article will provide insight into the current situation of Japanese vaccinations, the issues to be addressed, 
and suggestions for the public health promotion. Promotion. And, and the thing that stands out to me here is, I love, I mean, they always throw misperceptions about side effects, right? It's just, it's always a misperception. If, if, if you have a question about side effects, it's a misperception. Right. It's misinformation, right? Um, but what they're saying is that there are, there are higher incidence of these diseases. They're not saying that's leading to higher mortality for these diseases. And what you originally told me a, a, a while ago is vaccines, their goal with the CDC is to reduce incidence of disease, even if that disease is not detrimental to you or necessarily harmful to you. They're just trying to decrease the numbers. And by you reading that abstract, it really sounds like, oh, Japan has higher numbers here. We've got to get those down. And the reason that people aren't doing it is because only half of them are mandatory, half are voluntary. And the ones you have a higher chance of getting compliance with the mandatory ones. So therefore, we should do more that are mandatory if we want to get these numbers down. But then what it goes to say in the introduction, which is key, Japan ranks among the world's leader in the health of its citizens. The Japanese have the longest life expectancy and number of years lived in full health. That's important. Right. Not just years. Years lived in full health. It says Japan is among the leaders in the developed world in low obesity rates, low infant and cardiovascular disease mortality. The World Health Organization ranked Japan first in overall health and at, uh, the health goal attainment among 191 countries in its most recent rankings. Japan is the leader in low mortality rates for certain things, it is overall health goal. It is the number one country out of 191 countries. It's one of the world leaders in health, and yet it has higher levels of vaccine-preventable diseases than right. other countries. Right, right. It it does, it, they don't have to go together as if you have the infection, it means death. Right. It doesn't have to mean death, and this is a perfect example of how it doesn't. Right, and, and what kind of confounds me is... I feel like any reasonable scientist, the first thing they would do when they read that Japan ranks the highest among um, among developed countries, developed countries is among the leaders. They should stop to try to think why. Why? Mm-hmm. And and why if they have the lowest vaccination rates uh, virtually among all these countries, but they have the higher health rates. Um, why could that be? Why would why would there be two variables that seem at odds with each other? And that should challenge them. That should challenge right. any reasonable scientist. Because it says in stark contrast to all of these positive health indicators. Right. They have all these diseases. They have <laughs> high rates of, but not just any disease, vaccine preventable diseases. diseases. Those are the ones they're worried about. You're right. You're right. They don't have higher rates of other diseases. They're just tracking or talking about the vaccine preventable diseases. Right. And maybe right. there are other diseases, but they don't have a vaccine form, right. so they don't really care about those. But right. because they do have vaccines, they care about the fact that people are not getting vaccinated more frequently. Right. And, and I want to read, I want to read some data from CNN that kind of uh, you know adds to this. So there's basically a CNN article online, um, uh, and you know there's they have a, they have a table that says uh, where infant mortality is above or below average, and they basically looked at all the wealthiest countries from all over the all over the world, and they looked at uh, they kind of got the average of the twenty wealthiest countries. And they, they saw where their infant mortality, just the first year of life, they, they ranked where they were either below average or, or higher than average. And higher than average means worse. You know, a higher, you know, obviously a higher than average infant mortality. More children are dying per a right. thousand live births. Right. So Iceland was number one for infant mortality. They were 43% below average. 
Japan was number two. They're 30% lower infant mortality than all these other countries. Than the average of the other 19 right. countries. United States was 75% above, uh, higher than average infant mortality. And they're ranked um, uh, the very bottom, like the, like the lowest in infant mortality of all these countries they're ranked. So again, Japan is 30% better in infant mortality and the United States is 30 is 75% worse. Now when we look at child mortality, this is all now kids going from, you know, 1 to age 19. So these are now kids that are in Japan are catching the vaccine preventable diseases and and living through them and and you know growing up. Where does where does Japan rank with children? They are 14% better than average or below average child mortality. And the United States is 47% higher child mortality and ranked uh, uh, the very bottom of this as well. So Japan is third in child mortality. They are second in infant mortality. But this, this article we just read ranked them first in like overall adult mortality. What is the United States in child mortality? In child, uh, the second from the bottom. Yeah, so yeah. They're the bottom in one and then they're second from the bottom right, in the other. Right, so... That's very telling that country, the, the United States pretty much is the highest vaccinating country. There is not, pretty sure there's no other countries that give more vaccines than we do, and we're ranked the lowest. And then this And we'll do a separate episode on right. infant mortality rate and global right. vaccine rates because that's a whole right. other topic. But I, but I feel like every you know, scientist, they're completely missing the most important uh, hypothesis that someone could, could, could put forth and say, um, why would a country be so healthy and yet have such low vaccination rates or have a, such a small vaccination schedule? Their solution is how do we fix that by raising their vaccination schedule? That's the whole goal of this right. article. They're missing the point. Yeah, how, you know, why is yeah. Japan, why does Japan vaccinate so much less than the rest of us? And how can we fix it? Because that's got to make Japan healthier. Right, and they right. say, why are so VPDs so common in Japan? Yeah. This is Japan is among the wealthiest countries in the world, has universal health care, and has access to the same vaccines as other developed countries. So why are these diseases so common? And yet, it goes back to, we're still world leader in health, the leaders in the developed world with cardiovascular mortality, you know, as far as the lowest, and uh, rank number one with the World Health Organization. So it doesn't really sound like there's a problem. I mean, if you're World Health right. Organization number one, what's better than that? As far as your overall health, why are you making adjustments? And and as we've seen, the adjustments they've made between the time this was written and now, I saw the infant mortality rate. Actually, they went down to number three instead of number two in their in the current the last year's report from the OECD. Okay. Right. Uh, they've already dropped now with the increase in vaccines as as we've seen in their right. schedule. Right. So what's uh, so I think the the first. Uh, thing they talk about with Japan and, and why this, uh, you know, why they vaccinate less is there's a lot of his, historical context to this. And for me, kind of the most telling uh, historical event that happened was back in the 1970s, two, infant, two infants died right away after getting the whole cell pertussis vaccine. Um, I think the vaccine had, had recently become licensed, right? Yeah, about four years earlier. Um and two infants died uh, within 24 hours of getting that vaccine. You know what the Japanese government did? They suspended the vaccine. 
they actually took immediate action, said two infants just died. They suspended it because we need to investigate this. For only two infants. Right, for only two infants The died. entire right. nation program right. stopped giving this vaccine for two months. You would never see invest- that in, yeah, in America. Never. You would never see that. And then what they did is they, they reinstated the vaccine two months later, but they changed the age at which you give the vaccine. It used to be three months of age and that and that these young infants died when they got the vaccine so young. They changed it to give the vaccine at two years of age. I mean, think about that. That is crazy. That would never happen here. So they thought this could be potentially dangerous to infants. So we are going to stop giving it to infants and we are going to up the age to where the immune system is a little bit stronger. The baby might be able to handle a dose. Uh, Two years old is, again, by the time we would have already had 30 some doses here. And this is considered one of the necessary vaccines too, diphtheria and tetanus and pertussis. Um, And so they're pushing that. They push that not just a month, not two months, not three months. And they didn't add extra doses. And they they actually skipped them all until two years old. That is just two years. Yeah, just amazing. This is in 1974. Yeah, yeah, DTP whole cell vaccine. So then, as but then um, rates of pertussis or whooping cough increased because they you know they, they stopped giving the vaccine to all babies. Pertussis increased, and they started to have fatalities from the disease again. And they actually had 41 fatalities uh, in 1979. And that's know, out of 13,000 cases, right? Right. And so what they what they but but it's interesting that they they looked at the idea that an intervention was causing death. So we're going to stop that intervention. And then even though the lack of intervention is now allowing some deaths, I don't know if they consider just the, the deaths from pertussis were basically from the natural course of life and infections mm-hmm. that we can't always prevent. And and they were allowing some deaths because they were unwilling to, to reinstate. The whole cell. Like a, a yeah. direct medical treatment that they knew was then going to cause Fatalities. Well, they, and they waited. allowed the natural fatalities to to happen. They waited till 1981 to do the acellular, right? Which was which was having less adverse reactions, right, right. and so, so yeah, it's interesting. So so Japan was the first com- country to develop the acellular va- vaccine. Why? Because they were looking for a solution. Mm. In the United States, we just kept using the whole right. cell vaccine, you know, killing Still babies left and right, yeah. causing all kinds of brain injury, two months of age. Yeah, two months. And um, we just kept using it. Japan took a very different approach. They stopped using it where they were accepting fatalities from the disease. They worked hard to develop a vaccine that would not cause such a high rate of brain injury. And, and they developed the acellular vaccine and they in, in, reinstituted it. And then in the subsequent decade, the incidence of pertussis fell way back down again and they, they didn't have the fatalities from the disease they were having. And so it's like they, they worked hard to find a solution that, that in America didn't happen well, until much later. We, we didn't still, adopt, yeah, we didn't adopt the acellular until the mid 90s. Yeah. And we were yeah. still doing two months, four months, six months. Yeah. What I found interesting with a lot of these uh, other countries is they do their DTAP at three months, five months, and 12 months, or three yeah. months, six months, and 12 months. So they're getting the same three doses, but in a year's time instead of all in the first six months. And we've had that aggressive schedule for a very long time, even with the whole cell. Yeah. And, and Japan wasn't doing that. They had it more spread out so that there was more, more yeah. time. So the the next historical event that that I I'm actually kind of a little more aware of this because I because I read about this before was in 1987 Japan started using the the full MMR vaccine measles mumps rubella. Well, 
shortly after that, the the mumps part of the MMR vaccine was linked to causing aseptic meningitis. And this happened all over the world. Mm-hmm. This happened in Britain. This happened in, I think, in the United States as well. The strain of mumps they were using to make the vaccine, they couldn't like uh, neutralize the strain well enough. And the strain was causing active infections in people's brains. It was causing meningitis. And you, you can, if you, if you, you know, do a, a, a literature search on uh, meningitis, uh, you know, side effects from mumps vaccine, you'll see this historically. Um, there are many cases in the literature and they decided there's something wrong with the mumps vaccine. So what did, um, what did Japan do? Let's see. They discontinued the use of the combination MMR vaccine and started using separate measles, separate mumps, separate rubella vaccines. They made the mumps vaccine out of a new strain that would not cause meningitis. They started giving them separately. And this also happened worldwide. They started making the the MMR worldwide with a new strain of mumps, so it would not cause that high rate of encephalitis. And to this day, mumps is an optional vaccine for Japan. Right, exactly. Even to this day in 2018. Yeah, they never reinstated the use of mumps vaccine as a, as a required uh, vaccine. And it's interesting that it, it just, this whole thing caused significant public scrutiny of all vaccinations. And it actually swayed the pervading prevailing political attitude towards a more cautious approach. Seems like makes total normal sense. Right. Uh, yeah. But you would never see no. the United States adopt a more cautious approach. They don't use the MMR vaccine problem. in Japan. They use a measles right. and rubella vaccine. And then again, the, the mumps part right. is, Optional, and that's still to this day. Even with everybody saying the MMR vaccine is completely safe and, and effective, they still haven't reintroduced that to their schedule. Um, yeah, and, and then now. and then I love this in um in um let's see uh, in 1994, pressure by citizens and by medical professionals, right. which is crazy, led them to uh, change the law to make um, vaccination an individual responsibility and an option instead of a mandatory law. Okay, so let's look at this. It says, in addition to the pertussis and MMR events, the Japanese government was sued several times in the 80s and 90s because of vaccine adverse events. And so what did they do? Because of the pressure from citizens and from doctors who agreed, doctors were on the side of the patients that led them to modify in 1994 to change it so that it was an individual responsibility instead of mandatory. But what happened in, in the United States? Lawsuits in the 70s and the 80s. And that turned into instead denying the parents who had um, children with, that had vaccine injuries, ignoring them and making a law that removed liability for the vaccine manufacturers. So they literally did the opposite thing that we did because they responded to it in a way that normal people would respond to it. It was about their citizens. It was about protecting people, not about protecting the bottom line of pharmaceutical companies. Right. They just did not have that same kind of influence that the United States right. pharmaceutical companies had. So then the the second issue as to why they say, you know, they vaccinate so differently in Japan was that Japan adopts new vaccines under their schedule at a much, much slower rate than most modern countries. And it's interesting, they say between 1993 and 2007, there was a vaccine gap. Only two new vaccines were brought to the Japanese market. 
One was hepatitis A, and one was a combined measles and rubella vaccine. Only two new vaccines. In fact, the measles and rubella weren't even a new vaccine. It was just the fact that it was new combined. for them. Mm-hmm. So really, the only new one they introduced between ninety three and oh seven was hepatitis A. In contrast, seventeen new vaccines were introduced over that same time in the United States. I know I have that part circled. So think about that. In fourteen years, there were only two vaccines introduced, and in the same time period, there were seventeen new vaccines. The irony is that this study is trying to make it seem like do you see we're falling behind? Right. But really what it's doing is it's showing us an example of how vaccination policies should work and how medical professionals and the public can be on the same team to create the vaccines that are most necessary, create the vaccines uh, as limited doses as we need to get the job done. And then when there are problems, they listen to people and they make adjustments. We don't make adjustments here. The only adjustments we make are adding vaccines instead of removing them or reassessing. And this is why I use that hashtag time to reassess on some of my posts, because I think the vaccine schedule needs to be uh, reassessed. Um, Yeah, then for, for me, the, the next interesting was event, event was when uh, um, the Japanese government uh, suspended the Hib and the pneumococcal vaccines. Those are infant meningitis vaccines. They suspended them in 2011 because there were seven deaths of children uh, right after the vaccines. They suspended use of those two vaccines. Now, they only suspended the use for a month. And they, they reinstated them quickly, uh, but only after they investigated the seven deaths and were found that these deaths were unrelated to the vaccines. Now, you could argue, you know, how could they determine that? I mean, what if one or two or three of those deaths were related to those vaccines? But just the fact that the government would suspend the vaccines for a month and right. investigate. Suspend first, it, it investigate speaks a lot. after. It speaks a yeah. lot about the Japanese government and how they approach this. And they talk about the HPV vaccine, yeah. where they say this was put into the market, um, is added April 2013, so seven years later than what we had on the United States schedule. But only after two months of becoming available in Japan, the government ordered a cease uh, to cease active promotion of this vaccine because of fears of complex regional pain syndrome. And the HPV vaccine is under further investigation. This is in 2014 when they um, uh, wrote this article. It's under further investigation and it may be withdrawn from the market despite ongoing use in the United States and other countries. Right. And we know that there are lawsuits right. that yeah, are happening yes, currently. Yes, exactly. Yeah, there are, there are you know, large groups of Japanese citizens that are suing the Japanese government over injuries from this vaccine. So they call it complex regional pain syndrome. And we we're also hearing worldwide of this mm. very strange, complicated neurological uh, conditions that are, that are coming on, you know, in higher rates and especially women who are getting the HPV vaccine. So it's fascinating to me that Japan suspended it. Now, let me give you a little update uh, of what's happened. Um, uh, let's see. So they, what they do, did they, did they suspend it? Is that what is that what you read? It um, was suspended at that point. Order yeah. providers to cease. Uh, no, they they provided Pro- the to promotion. cease active promotion. Yes, um, but it said it might be withdrawn right, from the right. market. So, so what happened is, um, since then the um, the government has allowed the vaccine to continue to be used, but they're not putting it on their um, their uh, recommended vaccine schedule. They're basically leaving it on there as optional. 
So people are allowed to give it in Japan, but the government is not advising anyone gets it. They're just saying it's optional, and so parents can kind of make their own, their own decision on this. And so one of the things I thought was so interesting, and I know we've had a lot of concern about this here, it says the Japanese approach to vaccination in children with mild fevers, the way this study says, contributes to missed opportunities for vaccines because the Japanese immunization vaccination law, there's a law, does not allow vaccination if patients have a body temperature more than 37.5 degrees Celsius, which is 99.5. If the child has a temperature of 99.5 degrees, according to the law, you are not allowed to vaccinate that child. Interesting. And it says this is in contrast with the recommended practice of the United States where there is no specific threshold for body temperature. How many times have we heard stories, somebody being sick, somebody already coming in with a fever and being vaccinated and causing exacerbated problems as a result of being vaccinated while the body was in a height was already in a heightened immune response. This is not just a recommendation. You guys, this was their law. They have an immunization vaccination law laws that tell you the way, the way that you need to vaccinate to be most cautious. Like you said, it's a cautious approach and it just makes sense to me as I'm reading this, I'm thinking these are all the things that they should be doing. Um, but then what do they say? Well, if you delay the vaccination because of the fever, you might miss the vaccination. So this is why our schedule for the United States, they're so worried about people missing vaccinations that they're clumping them all together because they don't think the parent's going to come back. They're putting eight and nine doses together because of convenience to get the, to get compliance, not because it's safe, not because it's better. In fact, everything I keep reading about the measles vaccine talks about 15 months and later being the age that you're supposed to create enough antibodies. And that when you do it at 12 months, it does not create the same level of right. antibodies response, right. which means it's not as effective. And yet right. you're having people do it earlier because you're already there for 12 months for something else. Let's just throw it into the mix. But that does that seem like the best way to go about it? I mean, it doesn't to me. Um, Exactly. I do find it fascinating that in we do know, based on very good research, the MMR, the measles part of the MMR, works about three or four percentage points better if you get it when you're 15 months uh, compared to when you get it at 12 at 12 months. Yet the government likes everyone to get it at 12 months, even though they're going to lose three to four percent efficacy. And I just I find that that kind of strange. Um, the U.S. government, anyway. Um, what else? Uh, let's well, see. they also talk about how multiple vaccines being given simultaneously, yeah. how that's a concern for the Japanese yes, citizens. It's very different in, in Japan. And it says, but right. in Japan, multiple vaccines are given are less often given simultaneously than the United States. Okay, I'm just going to go back to the fact that we're talking about the world leader in health out of 191 right. countries. When you are ranking so well and you are have so uh, low levels of mortality for these types of cardiovascular diseases and we know that they are being recognized as having longer life expectancy and good quality long life health, what is... The, what are the patterns? We should be copying Japan. We should be copying their patterns, not them trying to look and see if they're keeping up with the United States because there's a lot we're not doing right here. Like if I were looking at the Japanese, I'd say this is the number one world leader, number two in infant mortality in, in based on that 2000 to 2010 study. What are they doing right? Well, they don't believe in 
having so many at a time. They don't give so many so soon. Many are optional. When they see side effects, they take them off the market. Uh, They don't give them to children with fevers. This is the type of vaccination policy we should be adopting in the United States. Right. So, so what else they don't do is, is again, this is back in 2014. I don't know if it's changed. They say there is no domestic legislation to enforce vaccination for children entering school in Japan. And it's funny that, <laughs> Sorry for laughing. The article says, you know, talks about how bad that is. Yeah, because you know? it's a missed opportunity. Right, it's a missed opportunity. Yeah, they, they don't stop and think, um, uh, you know, why is Japan so much healthier? So one of the things they notice with Japanese people says some of these lower vaccination rates are because of parent attitudes. It says in one study, a third of mothers... Um, uh, in one study, a third of mothers reported the intent to fully vaccinate. That's only a third, 33%. 50% only wanted to um, selectively vaccinate. Right. And then in, in another study, it's because they were worried about side effects, but also 10% were motivated to acquire natural resistance to some of these voluntary vaccine pathogens like chickenpox um, because they are known to actually increase long life health in certain other ways. And this is something the Japanese people know that not only do I not want to stop it, but I'd like my child to get this because this is going to keep them safer uh, in the end. And so they follow that up with saying, People have a misperception of vaccines, even medical professionals. It says, Japanese medical providers do not always have a basic knowledge, such as adverse effects, um, the intervals between times and things. And so they're saying, um, this comes back to the idea of education that you're saying of what they want to indoctrinate them with certain education. But maybe these doctors do have the health knowledge, but the health knowledge they have just doesn't believe that we need to do so many doses for people to be healthy. So they're saying it as if these people don't have the knowledge, but maybe the knowledge that they do have is one on a whole body approach. Right, right. But it's it's funny. They, They say there's even one study of Japanese resident physicians uh, showed low vaccination rates for measles among the physicians Yeah, the themselves. doctors themselves, yeah. And um, also fear of adverse events. Right. And and lack of awareness of disease severity. Basically, these, these resident physicians felt like the diseases are not very severe. Right. And there are adverse events to, to be considered. But the, this, this article almost, almost states it as those are false Oh, I know. Reasons. Like, those are like misperceptions. It is because this These is totally based on the U.S. narrative. And right. they say on a political level, there has to be progress in the United States. The ACIP is a federal committee that is composed of specialists, listen to this, who have no interest in pharmaceutical companies. Right. I love how they're, oh, just the ACIP, yeah. totally neutral, totally right. independent, not connected to the CDC and the, those who have stakes in pharmaceutical companies, right. not connected to patents or any of that kind of stuff. We know that is false. Yeah, um, but, but what, I, what, what just kills me, it says, uh, they say, um, uh, there is great hope for progress in, in as far as, you know, mm-hmm. raising vaccine rates in Japan. And they kind of talk about, uh, you know, what, you know, steps that, that, that are being taken to try to increase vaccination rates and, and increase the acceptance of all the newer vaccines. Yeah, including financial incentives for primary care providers to vaccinate children and adults. This is a strategy that has been recommended in the United States for enhancing vaccination. They are telling you right away, you guys, for, for those who have questioned, do doctors, you know, get bonuses on things like this, or does this, this is telling you there are financial incentives based on the United States, um, 
The way that they handle vaccines, there are financial incentives for primary care providers to vaccinate children. And so they're saying Japan should adopt the same thing. But um, this is such a great article because I don't, I don't, I don't think that they intended to paint Japan in such a positive right, light. Right, but by right. doing all these things, you really realize how well they were doing by doing things yeah. this way. Yeah, but it's something that is a little concerning and that, that is going to end up sort of really mimicking what the United States does. As they say right now uh, in Japan, every municipal government provides its own vaccination information to citizens. So basically every big city right. or county government does its own job of information. And Which they, makes sense, right? That. that makes right. sense because each right. locale is different and right. the people and are different there. That. They want to make it universal. They also say we could also improve this by instituting mandatory vaccination for school yeah, in right. Japan. They're so encouraging all the things that we coming, do here. It's coming, Japan. And, um, and unfortunately, and, uh, and, and you know, the, I don't know if you read the, the Japanese made their own ACIP committee mm. in 2013 basically a committee of medical professionals to basically start making vaccine policy. Well, and then we started to see a big jump. In 2014, they added varicella, chickenpox vaccine. Uh, in 2016, I forget what they added. We'll go over this on all those schedules. Right. I went through all this. They started adding a lot more things to their schedule. Right, and, and if, if you're just kind of curious, basically what Japan does in, in, a, in a nutshell, it's kind of... You know, back then it was a little less, but now it's it's a little similar. But they do like the three infant doses of DTAP and polio and hepatitis B and Hib and pneumococcal vaccine. These are sort of like the, they do like the same three infant doses that we do, and then they do a booster dose later. But um, but the, some of these uh, they don't start till three months. Some of them they start till two. Don't start till two months. They don't advise a birth dose of hepatitis B right. vaccine. Which, which they I say, in they the say top five later. The top five countries with the lowest infant mortality rate. None of them had birth right, doses. Right. They do. Uh, they do the measles and rubella at one in five years. They do chickenpox at one year and eighteen months. Um, one thing Japan does, and again, some of these are optional. Some of these are kind of more more promoted, but. One thing Japan does, they don't give the tuberculosis vaccine until one year of age. Most of the Asian countries give it at birth. Mm. The day a baby's born, you get a tuberculosis vaccine. Japan waits till the kids are one. The other thing Japan does is they don't give a whooping cough booster later. They don't give the five-year-old whooping cough booster or the 12-year-old whooping cough booster like we do. They just give a tetanus booster at 12. Um, so, it, I mean, they, they do a number of things differently they're, you know, they're, but, but again, they are moving more towards our system. So it's going to be interesting, you know, 10, 20 years from now, what is the Japanese infant mortality going to be in their child mortality? What's it going to be like? I think we need to keep an eye on that. I'll add that to my list of podcasts 10 years from now <laughs> that I hope Melissa will be here for. And, uh, no, because um, I looked through Japan and I think I even sent you a message like they, their schedule has almost doubled. I think is what I wrote you in the last 10 years of what they're now adding on to it from what it was. Yeah. Uh, it's getting closer. I think that, I think it's now not, not doubled, but 37 doses I think is what is on their schedule. Now it used to be 25. Uh, I think it's somewhere around there. Okay. Um, but right. we'll talk about this on the global thing because there's absolutely been a difference since 2014. It's gone up and I've seen, and then there's been a decrease in their high ranking on infant mortality. It's now gotten yeah. lower, which means there, there might be direct correlations to the fact that they've increased the schedule in the way yeah. that they have. 
Yeah, so I, don't know, I just kind of thought this was uh, an interesting. Again, this article, by the way, was written by by two um, Hawaiian health professionals because they get a lot of immigrants from Japan that move to Hawaii, and they wanted to be able to kind of uh, understand the Japanese approach to vaccination so that Hawaiian physicians could kind of understand where these families have come from. I feel like again, we should be using this as a model. Right, Honestly, right, the way that right. they approach this whole entire vaccine program, I feel like should be the model for countries, developed countries worldwide. Right, right. Exactly how they used to approach it. Yeah, they used to in 2014. Yeah. They are, they are again, uh, more and more influenced by... Uh, Pharmace- by it's got to be pharmaceutical companies that are... The right. Pharmaceutical companies in the United States are really looking at a global initiative. Right, and they work with the World Health Organizations and they help countries create their own CDC programs and their yeah. own uh, ACIP, you know, immuni- you know, immunization policy maker boards. They help countries create these and then... And then, but again, I think I don't think they're being purposely nefarious. I think these these medical professionals really do equate higher vaccination rates with better health outcomes for a country. They actually think they're Who doing Which good. Ones? I think the medical professionals, which ones involved in, in these programs, in the uh, in, you're talking about in the big global programs. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of them because actually the medical think professionals it's better to vaccinate. The more you vaccinate, the better and healthier you are. Even though they don't have the data for that, that's just the perception. So, how are you a medical so, professional without looking at data, though? And it's just, it's, it's kind of, well, people call it, kind of call it a religious thing. I mean, I feel kind like of a, a religion where the medical professionals is, in, in Japan, they obviously didn't see the I know they didn't that, use to see it that but way. But they're right. medical professionals also. Right. So I wonder if there'll be resistance. I, mean, I wonder if they'll I just feel like of, there's too much influence, uh, too many lobbyists that, and, and, uh, you know, pushing in a pharmaceutical agenda personally is what it feels like to me yeah. because this is a global idea. This is a universal concept of get every country on board, every state on board. This is not individualized at all. It's supposed to be just one, you know, like one big program. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, that was kind of a, that's interesting. Thank you for bringing that, that article to light and uh, kind of gave me some things to talk, think about it. And I, I don't know if there's anyone listening in, in other countries that we do yeah. know, we do know there's some European listeners and I don't know if we have any listeners in Japan, but if, if you are and you have any sort of I would love to hear some input. Yeah, uh, I would hear some input yeah, on this. Send us a comment. Send us a comment. Yeah, maybe, what is family uh, and, life there? Yeah. What is the approach to disease? What do parents and grandparents think about these common childhood diseases and the need to stop them? Like, I would love to get some input. If anybody has family in Japan or um, are living in Japan listening to this, please send us a message on a media education group. I would love to talk Talk about this directly yep. from people who are involved in it. Yeah, we are, need to announce the day that we're going to do the live Q and A Facebook. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you let's let's it. let's not let's do that on the next episode, and we'll figure out what day that's going to be, and then we'll, okay. Well, we got we got to pick a day. Okay. Bye, we, listeners. Thank you so <laughs> well, no, much. Let, let, let's keep it rolling, and you and I can like pick a day right now. All right. Well, no. let's pick a day. I mean, no, like, let's do I'm this. Um, but. Let's synchronize your calendar. I know. What are you doing? Uh, let's see. I can't do it Saturday the 30th. Uh, Does it have to be a Saturday, right? Do you want to do a Saturday? Sure. Let's do the 6th, April 6th. Okay. Okay. Facebook. Okay. Maybe April 6th, Facebook 9 Live. o'clock a.m. Okay. Facebook, that- sure. Yeah. Okay. 9 o'clock a.m. Facebook Live, April 6th. We're going to do a full hour of Q&A. Are we going to podcast it? Yeah. Yeah. Live okay. Facebook. Yeah. Facebook Live. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Facebook Live and podcast. So we're going to have to have a separate thing that we can actually look at people's so we can have our one of our phones for the camera and then have a, some, something we oh, can yeah, actually yeah, read their yeah, stuff. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, join us. Yeah. So join us April, April 6th, 9 a.m. Saturday, 9 a.m. for Facebook Live. And we have to clarify that the Facebook Live will be on the Immunity Education Group Facebook page, not Melissa's page, because the last one we did was on your page, personal page. This is, will be on the Immunity Education Group Facebook page. So find us there. It'll be at... Uh, 9 a.m. Pacific time. We got to specify that, right? You know, ask us you know anything that's been you know on your mind that you want us to, to talk for you know five minutes on, and we'll just go we, through all the questions. And okay, we were not going to be able to answer everybody's questions. I just want you yeah, to we know. Will. No, we will. I not. will stay until <laughs> yeah, right. Until I <laughs> know uh, it's hard sometimes. All the questions come pouring in kind of at once. So make sure it's something that's really now. It could it doesn't have to be like disease related. It could totally be like, hey, Doctor Bob, you know, what was your feeling when this happened or whatever? Like, or it could be oh, Melissa. Yeah. Personal you know, questions. How do you get I your guess? bangs so straight? Or, <laughs> um, I mean, like, we're here yeah. to be available to you, to socialize with you guys, and to connect with you, and in a way that we can't do live on podcasts uh, as easily. So, we'll try to incorporate this every now and then um, that we can do something like this for you guys too. So, yeah. April 6th, yeah. mark it down in your calendars. Cool. We're signing off. All right, and thank you guys for listening to the vaccine conversation. Yes. And we will see you next time. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as medical advice. Always consult your healthcare professional for information on vaccines and infectious diseases.